Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. So there's a story going around today because Clubhouse, which is, uh, I guess, this giant virtual uh, chat room, <laughs> I don't know, this party, giant party line, uh, is now worth, um, and this is crazy, worth, I think it was $1.3 billion or something. I, I saw this thing and I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. How did it go from nothing, and I don't know what its model is, to being valued at more than a billion dollars in a short period of time, yeah. and it's not that unique. It's so, not that it's more complicated, right? It, explain this, and, and knowing that it's powered primarily by Black energy, because we're the ones that made it sexy, we're the ones having folks coming on moaning and folks coming on strategizing about how to build, you know, the next platform, you know, that that's the range, right? So talk to us a little bit about that, but before we do tell us your background. So, you know, I, um, I define myself as a, as a worker, as a laborer. Um, and I come into a space, come into this space that we call this community, this, this world, this marketplace, um, as a working class individual. Uh, waging against a paradigm that um, that makes my life unequal, uh, that pushes me to the fringes of the economy, uh, and so I come into this space, um, sort of waging and uh, wailing and waging against that, and trying to take as many people um, as I can along in that space. Uh, and that's sometimes tough because um, you know I'm a lot older, and um, so if I've been trained by Gramsci. I know people aren't reading Gramsci today. And so I've got to figure out the way in which I sort of engage young people to talk about revolution and to talk about transformation and to understand um, that capitalism is constantly changing and it has to constantly recreate itself um, because that's just the nature of capitalism. And you know, so in reading, um, in reading the piece on Clubhouse, I'm thinking, wow, there was a statement by this young brother who said something about, um, you know, that we just want access to our share of equity or that, um, you know, we're the driving forces, we're the creatives. And, you know, it made me reflect on John Locke and his statement that, well, if you put your hand, if you put your labor into the land, it is yours and you get to claim it. And so we've been living with the ramifications of that, the stolen land, the stolen labor that's built capital accumulation. And what you're seeing with the sort of rapid expansion of the, the price point on Clubhouse over a matter of time, it's financial capitalized marketplace, right? Um, you've got to hit it big and you've got to hit it quick. And so you drive that the markets are constantly driving up and then somebody's going to sell and, uh, and then you're going to see it sort of be absorbed or new iterations. But this is what I call metadata capitalism, right? It's constantly changing. And it leaves us, the creatives, and, and I'm calling myself um, a creative because I'm talking about Black people, um, because I'm not much of a creative. Uh, it, le it renders us constantly at the, at the lower end of the power dynamic because we're not engaged in um, financialized capital marketplace. We're, we're not. And we are at the lower end of the stratified market place. And so when we talk about our, our creative um, space and our creative genius, um, it is not unique. Uh, and somebody said, 
in, in the article that I read something about have nots. We're not have nots. We're powerful people and we are constantly changing. As, as, as capitalism changes and feeds off of us, we're feeding off of it. And so we've got to figure out how we reclaim our agency in the capitalist marketplace because that's the piece that Clubhouse doesn't offer and that folks aren't getting. You can't claim agency in Clubhouse. There is no democracy in Clubhouse and you can't control the cultural dynamic because it's controlled by money and price points. We're, we're talking with Professor Josie Gonzalez. And as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, if you're birthed out of a people that come into this world with abundance, and mm -hmm. like you said, you put your hand in the soil, it, it's yours. And everything that you create is for everyone to share. If that's your mentality versus a mentality of lack, which is I'm going to take steel and uh, take by force if I have to everything because I have nothing. Those two things colliding is where we are right now, I believe in America and across the globe. It's not just an American phenomenon that you have a group of people whose mindset is, if I have, I'm gonna share versus a mindset that says, what's yours is mine, what's mine is mine. And I'm, I'm going to keep you in a position to keep what's mine, mine. Those two things can't exist, but it has, pushed us in these opposite polar spaces that you just talked about. So I've been talking before you got here about political strategy. Okay. If this is the way the game is played, right? There's no Twitter really that's hot without black Twitter. I mean, the first people that I followed on Twitter were P Diddy, Sherry Shepard, and I forgot who the third person, cause I, Oh, uh, Jimmy Fallon, who to me is black facing for a lot of reasons, but I, but I'm only engaging with people with a similar vibration. And when black Twitter gets involved as it will do during, you know, during the inauguration, black Twitter had a field day, even the Bernie memes in many ways, that's us, you know, whether Janet Jackson's getting involved, that's still us, yes. but we don't own Twitter. And when you look at the stock market, which is not the economy, but it's where the majority of the wealth is, is created in this country. The, the companies that are winning are those that are capitalizing off of the things that we bring to it. And we've been talking about this for a number of decades now, and we're seeing, you know, starts and fits people, you know, Nas getting involved in tech and ringing other things. And there's some basketball players that are involved in tech and there's, you know, here and there, LeBron is involved, but as a group. So, so how do we change the way that we think? about these things. Cause I am, I went into clubhouse just to understand it. And then I came back out and I'm like, I'm not going back because I, what you're not going to get is my goodness to go and then go get a billion dollars. And I don't see a dime of it. Nah, y'all can go ahead and kick rocks, but everyone doesn't think that way, Josie. So how do we get folks to read? Yeah. And that's, um, so we are, you know, so we're in a, we are, we exist now in digital spaces. When we exist now on a digital platform and that's where we're playing. And so what's interesting at the same time that we are trying to access agency in digital platforms that we don't own, the, um, we're seeing uh, K through 12 generation get left behind because of the digital divide. And so playing catch up in your twenties and your thirties in the digital marketplace. So that's, so, so we are, we, we're trying to access agency and we're trying to play catch up at the same time. And what happens if we're not well grounded is we get caught, we get caught up as individuals in 
the, the, um, the capitalism that says it is just about me. Even though we say it's about black, it's still about me. It's still about how I'm accessing that space and how much money I can make because that's a capitalism we know. So how do we, how do we broaden the conversation and the education around this collective that engages the capitalist marketplace as a collective, right? If we're the global majority, as you and Carr and so many others that we preach every Saturday, in fact, I just said it recently uh, on the day of national um, racial healing, I talked about us being the global majority, but we enter into a space in a capitalist marketplace like the US very much without not seizing our collective power. And I think that is, you know, that's a conundrum we're in, right? Because we're not, we have the, the opportunity or possibility of creating our own digital platforms, but that's going to take a disengagement and a relinquishing of the idea that we have to make, we're going to have to make that $113 um, uh, per hit for somebody, for somebody else to make a dollar. So we want to make the $100 more than the other person. We're not interested in share, in really being equal shares in a collective um, company. We're, we're not interested in that. I mean, Master um, P said it, you know, that, you know we've had- We're not getting it. You know, we've had Black Planet and other things and they come and they go because we're undercapitalized usually, you know, we're playing that catch up and we, we can't get the institutional funding, you know, this billion dollar valuation doesn't just come for us, you know, because yeah. the value is different when it's Black owned, you know, if we're going to be honest in this capitalist system, there's value placed on whiteness over Blackness. So, so they're already, you know, so I'm thinking, you know, is there, is there a way around this? Is there a, a hack, so to speak, that we can yes. put forward? And um, before we do that again, Josie, how did you come into education? Uh, just like you teach at um, Rutgers, what, what, so what class think, do you teach? Yeah. So I've spent my entire career um, in uh, community development, nonprofit sector, public policy, uh, being a funder, um, really sort of addressing sort of the intractable issues around um, the disenfranchisement and the marginalization of neighborhoods and communities, not of people, but of neighborhoods and communities that render the people who live in those neighborhoods and communities without agency and without power to negotiate on their terms. Uh, and so I, um, I decided that I wanted to do a PhD in race and power and decided I'd go and, um, uh, and do it at Rutgers and try to teach on nonprofit management and then try to teach on politics. Um, it's not, you know, it's, it's really difficult to teach in public universities when you teach from a racial, uh, you know, a, a racialized paradigm. When you talk about race and power and you talk about whiteness as power and the way in which you move against whiteness as power uh, as, um, as part of the global majority. Uh, and so that's so. Um, I find it exciting. I spend a lot of time with young people um, because a lot of older people spend a lot of time with me as a young person and uh, encourage me to read, to think, to be analytical and to stay true to my core values. So that's, that's how I, I come into that space. Um, not always well accepted, uh, but I come into that space wherever I can uh, and remain true to my political philosophy and my cultural identity. So as we, um, and before I also have another question, but Gramsci, tell me who that is. I want to learn. Um, 
Thank so you. Uh, a classic um, intellectual who talked about um, revolution, um, anti-capitalism, uh, and uh, the role of actually the role of the intellectual, the public intellectual, in um, in our space, um, like Cornell West, uh, like Greg Carr, and like you, the role of the public intellectual in moving the masses uh, to empowerment, to agency. Who introduced you to Gramsci and spell she? Uh, G R A M S C I. Um, uh, I would say that um, my older siblings. I have siblings who are 15 years my senior. And um, so I spent a lot of time around them uh, and getting thrown books to not annoy them uh, and saying, you know, you got to read this. In the Caribbean, you know, you, you have to, you know, you have to do what your elders tell you, including those who are just like, who are as young as you are. And, uh, you know, we, we got, I got a television when I was seven years old. Um, and that television went off at like seven o'clock at night and we listened to the radio and the radio went off at like eight o'clock at night and I was on a Friday night. And so there was not anything else to do, but play cards, cricket and read. Okay. And so that's what we did. And I mean, yeah. I think th that journey alone um, is instructive and I'd rather read than watch television all day long. Uh, but, but we're in a, a society that uh, actually frowns upon it. And I think, you know, this is the other thing that we haven't talked about a lot, the anti-intellectualism or yeah. the, the dumbing down of America and Trump being the, the massive example of that. Somebody who, I don't know if he can read very well, but we know that he doesn't, right? And there was some celebration around his brutishness you know, yeah. the, the plain spoken way, you know, the cussing and the way in which he carried himself uh, that people related to because it let them off the hook, right? And I think really, if we're being honest, it let folk off the hook from having to do better because if he could be president, well, damn it, anything's possible. I don't have to go to school. I don't have to work hard. I don't have to read. I don't have to be a good, good person. I don't have to treat people well. I can do all of these things and still be successful because look at him. Well, you know, it's interesting, right? Um, I'm also the executive director of a news site and uh, public media plays, and, and well, not just public media, but media itself plays a role in driving the agenda. And so the media got manipulated by Trump, but they were also, um, they were also feeding off of him, right? So we, we live in a society where the media has become the face of driving capitalism, of driving consumption, uh, and we have to hold media accountable to that. Um, and even public media um, have sort of lost their way in being a challenge to the ideas that sort of dominate the way we live, the way we interact. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.